Hello, everyone. It is good to be here with you. My name is Per Nielsen. I'm the lead pastor at Community of Hope Church, and uh, thanks for joining in the worship here at Hosanna this morning. Welcome to those who are part of the online community. As the ushers come forward to receive the tithes and offerings this morning, uh, let's just be reminded that all good gifts come from above. Amen? And, and we have the privilege of stewarding those good gifts to further God's kingdom. So thank you for your great, your remarkable stewardship here at Hosanna. Um, a little bit of information that you probably don't know about me. I was a math and physics major when I was in college. Love mathematics and physics. And on the Myers-Briggs scale, if you're familiar with the Myers-Briggs scale, I'm an ESTJ. Now, basically, you combine those two things, and here's what it means. I love information, and I don't like Hallmark Christmas movies at all. <laughs> they are so unpredictable. <laughs> So I was doing some research for today and uh, for my Christmas Eve message, and I came across some information that I found pretty interesting, and, and maybe you'll find it interesting too. We'll see. For example, did you know that in Japan, a main meal for Christmas Eve is Kentucky Fried Chicken? It's true, Kentucky Fried Chicken. In fact, you've got to get a reservation two months in advance to be able to get a seat at a Kentucky Fried Chicken on Christmas Eve. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? I suppose, you know, Colonel Sanders looks a little bit like hipster Santa, maybe. I don't, I don't know. How about this one? The largest Christmas gift ever given, given in 1886 from France to the United States, and it was... Statue of Liberty, Statue of Liberty weighed 225 tons, largest Christmas gift ever given. Cyber Monday this past year, Cyber Monday this past year, $7.9 billion worth of transactions took place, $7.9 billion, and 54% of them took place on these. The world has changed, hasn't it? It has changed. How about this one? First came out last year. It was reconfirmed this year. 69% of all Americans surveyed, 69% would rather not give gifts on Christmas if friends and family agreed to it. 69%. That's seven out of 10. You can elect a president at 46% of the vote. 69%. This is an average population of people. That means seven out of every 10 of you would rather not give gifts for Christmas if friends and family agreed to it, which means that the gift that everybody wants is the gift of not giving gifts, doesn't it? Think, think about that in your families. Think about that. Gather your families together. Find the seven. All agree not to do the Christmas gift thing. Let the other three just do what they want to do. Have at it. Go for it. Think how wonderful that would be. No, think about the time saved, the money saved, the stress saved. Think about it all. Now, you're probably saying at this point in time, Pastor Perry, you're sounding a little bit like the Grinch or... Or Scrooge, I mean, those two guys are the icons of stinginess. And well, maybe I am. But I've got to tell you, the Grinch or the Scrooge didn't have their stories end with stinginess. They ended with transformation. With a changed heart. 
And that's my deepest prayer for you today. That your heart would be changed. And particularly in the area of how you understand and receive God's favor in your life. It's interesting, isn't it? At this event that took place some 2,000 years ago. On a lowly hillside in a community called Bethlehem. Tucked in a ramshackle cave. That this event that was all about God giving and humanity receiving. It's interesting, isn't it, that, that this event has taken such a turn over the course of the years and changed such focus. And not only was it about God giving and humanity receiving, but, but it was about God giving with no expectation that humanity would receive. None whatsoever. Only a hope that humanity would receive. And now we have a season that's filled with all kinds of expectation. So much so that even though seven out of ten of you would rather not give gifts, we do it anyway. Because it's the cultural norm. It's the cultural expectation. And we do so even though the only gift given in the Bible, in the entire Christmas story, the only gifts given were gifts given to God. They were given to the Redeemer. In the fundamental understanding of Christmas, we have a story of a baby born, and his name is Jesus. It's about God bringing a gift to this world and humanity receiving it, the gift of Jesus, his grace, and his truth. In the fundamental understanding of Christmas, we have a God who invites us to return gifts to him. Return gifts to Jesus. The season is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Church, can I have an amen to that? It's all about Jesus. And we're in the midst of a teaching series, and uh, it's the teaching series uh, looks at those very first words, the very first words that were spoken about the birth of Jesus. Those words are recorded in the Gospels, and what's interesting is that those words, along with other pieces of Scripture, those words were put to rhythmic fashion or song in the very earliest part of the church. And one of the reasons that that happened was so that people could remember because singing things or speaking things rhythmically helps people to remember. Um, singing is a mnemonic device. It helps people get stuff in their head. And so they would sing these songs in, in carols and hymns and canticles and some of the early church liturgical formats. They would chant these back and forth to one another so that they could remember them. And the reason they did so is because historically the people of God have had a memory problem. You can read that all the way through scripture. The people of God have had a memory problem. And in fact, I think that's one of the reasons why Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, when he's gathered with his disciples, one of the last things that he spoke to them was, do this to remember me. Do it to remember me. 
We have a memory problem. And so the early church took these, these, these words and they put them to tunes and, and to help people remember. Now, if you don't believe me that, that singing or, or repeating something rhythmically helps you with memory, let me just do a little bit of a test, a little bit of an experiment here. Um, I'm going to recite some portions of the Christmas message, the message that you hear in Luke 2, the message that we, we read every Christmas that you've read in scriptures time and time again. I'm going to repeat some of that and I'd like you to just fill in the latter portion of of the sentence, okay? In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that, okay, we've got about four people. (laughs) And the shepherds were out in their fields, okay, a few more, right? Mary kept all these things, okay, a few more. Now, let's think about some of the Christmas songs. And we'll start off with an easy one, just by way of warming up. Jingle bells, jingle bells. <laughs> Silent night, holy night. Hark the herald angels sing. You start to get my point? When people sing, they remember. Grandma got run over by a... Just to see if you're with me. <laughs> People sing things, people repeat things rhythmically, it helps them remembering. It helps them to remember the narrative. And with that in mind, let's turn to Luke's gospel in the second chapter. We're going to spend a little bit of time there today. Luke's gospel in the second chapter, we're going to look at the angel song. The angel song, the song that the angels brought to the shepherds. Luke's gospel in the second chapter. We're going to get started at verse 8. It says this. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And just a quick note for those who wrestle with the concept of angels or spiritual beings at all. The reason we Christians believe in angels is because you find them throughout the Bible and we have a high value on the Bible. We also find as followers of Jesus that Jesus believes in angels. He speaks about them. He talks about them. They come to minister him to him when he is being tempted by Satan. Angels in the Bible are almost always messengers. That's one of their primary roles. They are messengers of God. I don't know if you, uh, any of you remember back in the 1970s and 1980s, there's, there was an advertising campaign by a financial firm named E.F. Hutton. And in E.F. Hutton, what they did was they created a line, developed a line that defined who they were. And it was, when E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. When E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. And throughout scripture, when the angels talk, what happens? People listen. They are messengers. They're messengers of God. Let's continue. And the shepherds were living out in their fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. An angel appears to shepherds, people who were exceedingly low on the economic scale, people who were exceedingly low on the social scale, individuals who just showed up to do their job, 
Many of them, and probably most of them, didn't think much about tomorrow, the next day, what would happen in the weeks to come. Most often of them were pigeonholed into those places of employment, and and they just did what they had to do to survive. They probably thought of themselves as just an insignificant cog in the the great gearbox of life. And, And here's where that connects to many of us. We have a world filled with people who believe exactly the same thing, who don't understand their value, who see themselves as being just an insignificant cog in the great gearbox of life. And so when when the angels come and speak into these shepherds, something remarkable takes place. And if it says anything at all about the very character of God, it says that no matter how we feel inside about our value, about meaning, about purpose, about our significance, God values us highly. God sees us as significant, as vitally significant. More about that in just a little bit. Let's continue. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor Rests. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now, that single verse has been the catalyst for many, many Christmas hymns. Angels from the realms of glory, angels we have heard on high. My favorite, however, is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And And one of the reasons that it's my favorite is from something that transpired when I was just a young boy living out in Sunberg, Minnesota. Sunberg is a little community to the northwest of Wilmer, Minnesota, if you know where that is. And Sunberg was less than 100 people when I lived there. And it was a completely Norwegian community. Everything about this community was Norwegian. In fact, here's how Norwegian it was. In the 1980s, Norway actually sent people from its consulate to Sunberg, Minnesota, to learn how to be Norwegian. That's how Norwegian this place was. So it's, my, it's the first church that my dad pastored. It was a two-point parish. And in Sunberg, there were two schools. There was the public school in town. And then outside of town, on the west side of Sunberg, there was a little one-room school that had 14 kids. And Mrs. Johnson was the teacher at this little one-room school. And she wanted to do a Christmas program for the very first time in the history of that school. And, and, and so she talked to my dad because she didn't know music at all. And my dad had sung in the Concordia Choir and, and he knew music inside and out. And he was so excited to be a part of the community that way. And so he gathered those 14 kids together and he started teaching them the Christmas carol so that they could have this program at this little schoolhouse. And everything was going along fine until they got to the song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And then these Norwegian farm kids, and all of them were Norwegian farm kids at this school, with a deep Norwegian brogue, hit one line in Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And that line was, with angelic host proclaim. And they could not get their tongues around it. They just couldn't. In fact, it sounded like this. 
wird den Jelitos proclaim. And, and it sounded like with the jelly toast proclaim. And, and my dad worked with them and worked with them and worked with them. And finally he gave up and he just said, all right, just sing it with the jelly toast proclaim. So, so the, pro, the program happens and they get to that with the jelly toast proclaim. And everybody's laughing and smiling and they're all thrilled. After the, after the program was done, dad gave each of them a piece of jelly toast to commemorate the occasion. But that whole event just stuck in our hearts as kids. And so to this day, we sing with the Jelly Toast Proclaim when we're singing Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And now it's stuck in your head too, isn't it? <laughs> Welcome to the family. <laughs> uh, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Do you believe God's favor rests on you? No, do you, do you believe it? Not do you sing about it. Not do you think about it. Not do you hear it over the intercoms at local stores when you're shopping. Church, do you believe God's favor rests on you? And here's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about God's favor. I'm talking about forgiveness and freedom and a future with hope. I'm talking about the favor that comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Forgiveness and freedom and future with hope. Do you Believe in the very depth of your heart, has your heart been captured by God's favor? Let's stretch the question out just a little bit. Do you believe it's even possible for God's favor to rest on you? Because there's a lot of people in this world who don't. The atheist doesn't believe that it's even possible for God's favor to rest on them. Of course, God doesn't exist, so how could God's favor rest on me? There's a whole bunch of people who do believe God exists, but that he's so removed from this world that his favor could never rest on them. They're called theists. And then there's individuals who, who believe that God might be close, but that he's not a God of love. And, and if God isn't a God of love, how could his favor rest on me? It doesn't stop there. The question of favor is a question that so many people are asking. For example, almost every teenager asks the question of favor from the position of questioning their significance or their value in life. Who am I? What's my purpose? What's my role? What's my meaning? If they don't do it in high school, quite often it happens when they go to college. And now they're challenged for the very first time and, and maybe they get an F for the very first time and, and Lord, what is this all about? How could you be a God of favor if that happened? As time goes on and, and life events continue to transpire, we move into the work world and, and a Gallup poll said that 70% of people in the United States today are dissatisfied with their places of employment. And when you're dissatisfied for that period of time, you question God's favor in your life. Move up into the midlife crisis area. 
where the question of purpose and meaning takes on a whole new set of dialogue and a whole new set of questions. Kids leave the home. Husbands and wife have to look at each other for the first time in a long time without the kids being a bridge, and you've poured so much energy into them, and now you're going, well, who am I if I'm, if I'm not a mom that takes kids to hockey practice or, or band practice? Who am I if I'm not a dad that pours my life into my kids? Who am I? Retirement takes place, and I've talked with hundreds of people in retirement who are asking the question of significance, and it doesn't stop there. For those who are in the retirement community who find themselves living in retirement homes, the question of significance is magnified by loneliness. It's a big question. Have you, ever, have you ever felt, and I think all of us have at some point or another, like an insignificant cog in the great gearbox of life? I know I have. It's happened a few times. It's a tough place to be. It's happened as recently as within the last five years. While I'm serving the ministry, Lord, what, what's going on? What's the call that you have for me? Our lives are, are connected with the lives of these shepherds in, in remarkable ways. And, and if we go back to that hillside in Bethlehem, those shepherds who found themselves on the lowest social scale and lowest economic scale who were just doing their daily tasks, asking the question about meaning and purpose like so many of us have. And all of a sudden, an angel shows up in their midst. All of a sudden, the voice of God speaks to them in a whole new way. And there are two things that would have certainly happened when, when that angel showed up. The first is this they would have understood God's favor. And they would have seen themselves as recipients of God's favor because why else would angels show up to proclaim this remarkable good news of a savior coming to this world unless they, they were part of God's favor? The second thing is that for the, maybe the first time in their entire lives, they began to see themselves as significant as having significance in the world. Not as, not as just part of, of this scheme of things that didn't matter at all to the larger purpose in life, to the larger purpose in the world, but, but actually having significance in this world. Through the voice of an angel, the voice of a messenger, heaven speaking into their lives, and it changed them. It transformed them. And they received it. And they proclaimed God's good news and his word and his promise. As I stated earlier, I'm a, a math and physics major. I love science. And, and there's so many examples, so many illustrations of significance that I could give you from the world of science. I could go to the idea of creation and and the particularity with which the universe is placed in position and is ordered. We could go to atomic particles and the uniqueness of atomic particles and the significance of how 
they interact. But, but being that it's cold and flu season, I thought I'd take a minute just to talk about bacteria, if I could. <laughs> now, when most people think about bacteria, they think about negative things. They think about getting sick. They think about amoxicillin, going to the doctor, being miserable. But the truth of the matter is that we could not survive without bacteria. We could not survive without good bacteria in our gut, without good bacteria that helps us to fend off illness in our life. We could not survive. So let me give you a picture of a bacteria. This is a picture of a bacteria. And what I'd like you to take notice of in this bacteria is that little string-like thing coming off the back of the bacteria. That is called a flagellum or a flagella. And the flagellum or the flagella moves the bacteria around from place to place so that it can do what it's supposed to do. Good bacteria, it keeps them alive so that they can perform the good functions that they're called to do in life. And again, if you are missing good bacteria in your gut, you're miserable. If you don't have good bacteria in your skin, you get sick a whole lot quicker. The nature of bacteria is constructive. So you have these good bacteria with these flagellum and they move around so that they can stay alive and do what they're called to do. If they don't move around, they die and they can't do what they're called to do. Now what's interesting about this is how that flagellum works. And what's so intriguing is that the flagellum works by a little gearbox that's contained inside of the bacteria. Take a look at this. It's a microscopic gearbox, literally. A biological gearbox made up of multiple gears and multiple shafts that work together to make the flagella move, which makes the bacteria move, which keeps the bacteria alive. If one of those little gears, one of those little gears is missing, the mechanism doesn't work, the bacteria can't do what it's called to do, and we suffer the consequences of it. One of those little gears, a small little gear that you can barely see under a microscope, that you have never seen with the naked eye, so small, so remote, that we don't even think about it on a day-to-day -day basis. That's how small it is. And it carries enormous significance for life itself and our lives particularly. And if that much significance is contained in a microbiological gear, how much more significance does God place on your life? How much more significance? Listen to the way Jesus puts this. This is so great. Here's what Jesus says. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one of them is forgotten by God? Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. You are not insignificant. God's favor rests on you. You are indispensable in God's kingdom. God's favor rests on you. 
God loved the world so much that he sent his favor. It's a baby born in a manger. His name is Jesus. And Jesus brought God's favor to light through forgiveness and freedom in the power of the Holy Spirit. And by placing a future with a hope in the hearts of people which they had never had before. You are significant in God's kingdom. You are favored by God. The shepherds are out in the fields and and they saw themselves as an insignificant cog in the great gearbox of life. And then the angel speaks to them and and all of a sudden the shepherds have a different perspective on the world itself. and, And they receive this favor from God and they return glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. Just as the angel had told them. And it begs a question for us. Have you received the favor of God? It's there for you. There's no expectation to receive it at all. But receiving it makes all the difference in the world. In the first chapter of John's gospel, John is writing about the character of God and the person of Jesus. And he's talking about Jesus as a part of creation. He's talking about Jesus as the light of the world. He's talking about Jesus containing all that God is. He is the word of God. He is everything that God is. He is fully incarnate. Absolutely all that the God of the universe is, is found in the person of Jesus, including God's favor for the world. And then John goes on to say this. He says, to those who received him, who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of flesh, but born of God. To those who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Have you received him? Have you received God's favor in the person of Jesus Christ? Have you received his forgiveness and his freedom and his future with the hope? Have you received him? Have you received those things that are most important in life? It's Christmas season. Because at the heart of Christmas is a God who gives and invites us to receive his favor, his freedom, his forgiveness, and his future with hope. We're going to close in prayer. And what I would love for you to do is consider your life. Just take a moment and consider your own heart. And ask the question, have I received the favor of God? Have I received the person of Jesus? Have I been born again? Have I received his forgiveness? That's why he died on the cross. Have I received his freedom? 
He's a bondage breaker, a chain breaker. If I received his future with hope, it's why he was raised from the dead. Have I received those things here? Not just singing about them, not just hearing them over the speakers and stores as we do our Christmas shopping here. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, you search us and you know us. And I pray, God, right here, right now, that as we take a moment of silence to come before you, that, that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would search every heart in this place and help them honestly ask the question, have I received Jesus? Have I received God's favor? Have I received his forgiveness, his freedom, his future with hope? Church, take just a moment of silence to come before the Lord on your own and ask that question. Let the Holy Spirit search your heart. As we continue in prayer, if you're here today and and you have not received Jesus into your life, I'd like to invite you to do so right now as as I pray for you. If you have not received Jesus into your life and you'd like to receive him and and be born again, just receive this prayer. Father, I, I ask you that you would send your favor in the person of Jesus, your son, our Lord, into the hearts of those who yearn for your favor in their lives, in the person of Jesus, to be born again, to become a child of God. And I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would would make that happen right here and now, that new life would be given, that reconciliation would happen between the Heavenly Father and those individuals who yearn to be born again. That the cross and the resurrection would come alive for them and that your Holy Spirit would pour into the very depth of their heart, Lord. We thank you for that gift. Again, as we continue to pray, if, if you're here and, and in this Christmas season, you need the gift of forgiveness in your life pray that you just receive this right here, right now. I pray, God, that your favor and the gift of forgiveness would would come to those today who are in need of it, who are burdened, who are beleaguered, who are weary, who are worn because of the sin in their life. Let them know, Lord, that you died on the cross for the forgiveness of sin, all sin, and that they can come to you and they are not insignificant. They are valued in your eyes. It is why you gave your life, Lord Jesus. And we pray, God, that that there would be a sense of burden being lifted right here and right now for those who 
were troubled with sin in their life. And I also pray, God, for those individuals who are here who need to forgive someone, that you and the power of your Holy Spirit would would direct them to speak that word of forgiveness so that they're not held by the chains of unforgiveness into the past, but they are set free to move forward, Lord. If you're here today and, and you need to be set free from something, I pray that you open your heart and receive this word right now. Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, come and be a bondage breaker. Lord, set captive free from addictions, from unhealthy thoughts, from the burden of guilt and shame. Give freedom. Remind those who are struggling with burden, Lord, that that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. It is the gift of favor they need today, right here and now, Lord. Minister to them in the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. And finally, God, for, for those who are in need of future with hope, who right now might be struggling with grief or lack of sense of direction, who may have, have lost a job, who are weary, who are wondering what tomorrow might bring, I pray that your resurrected power would come alive in their heart And that the gift of hope would be placed so deep within that it simply cannot be removed. That your favor would place in them, would plant in them a future with hope, the likes of which they have never experienced before. God, you are so good. You see us as valuable, as indispensable as absolutely significant for your world and you love us. And we thank you, Lord, and we praise you for all of the good gifts of grace and especially this day for your favor poured down in the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray it in the name of Jesus and God's people said, amen.